live from the Coachella Valley. Time for another hour of the desert scene, art exhibitions to modernism, music festivals to live theater, big screen, little screen, and very little screen. This is the Culture Corner with Bonnie Gilgallen and Brian Mendoza. Here's Bonnie and Brian on iHub Radio. And welcome to the Culture Corner. I'm Bonnie Gilgallen here with uh, Brian Mendoza. Hey, Brian, how's it going? It's going <laughs> pretty good. good. Everything's good. How are you doing? I'm doing well, but I, I wanted to start with, um, just because it's important and it's relatively new news, some sad news that we lost a really talented musician, a desert staple uh, yesterday, Pat Rizzo, passed away. He was a wonderful saxophone player. Uh, he played the flute, was just amazingly talented uh, band leader. He he ran the band at the Palm Springs um, Film Festival Gala for years. Uh, just a fixture in the desert, played all over town, did a number of CDs, um, played with the late Andy Fraga. Um, I, I was, he was a friend of mine. I knew him pretty well, performed with him a few times, but he was just a huge, huge loss for the valley just a great guy fun guy funny um talented and i mean just enormously talented and um i think he'd been battling some uh, health issues for a while but we lost pat rizzo yesterday so rest in peace and again it's a big loss for the valley Uh, i'm sorry to hear about that bonnie i really am such such a tragedy these days especially in a time with a lot of tragedies it it losing too many people it's sad it really is it's a rough time but so what else is in the news that's <laughs> maybe a little happier? So, you know, I wanted to talk to you, since you are someone who has, who writes a lot, who have actually mentioned the idea of writing this book. So tell us more about your writing experience with this book that you wanted to write before we move on to our fourth story. Uh, well, um, you know, I got, I, I like to kind of think that I got a little bit of writing ability from my mother. My mother's passed away 10 years ago, but she was a wonderful writer and taught us all, my siblings and I, sort of the the value of the written word and, and how to use it. And this book that I'm working on, and it's a, it's a long-term process, it's been going for a while, it's not, not anywhere close to finished, but it's basically um, about my experience six years ago with, I had a detached retina, and I had surgery for that, and the rehab for that is really excruciating. And uh, I'm fine now but I wear distance glasses I didn't before but but for me it was a very uh, cathartic emotional experience and a very uh, spiritual a big spiritual growth for me going through that it wasn't just a physical issue in a sad time and then it's over and it's fine but it really changed me as a human being in a lot of ways in a lot of good ways ultimately and just about that experience what that experience was like and the uh, catharsis and uh, what I learned from it so that's basically the basis of the book and I was going to say that the reason why I wanted to ask you about your writing experience is because our first story is an update more than an actual news story. But there's a lot of speculation about George R. R. Martin, the man who has written the Song of Ice and Fire series, which is the series of fantasy books that Game of Thrones is based on. And only five of bo- five official books, along with a few spinoff books, mm-hmm. have been published. And it's taken him almost actually now officially 10 years to continue and he ha- he's not even done yet to write the the sixth book the winds of winter and he's talked about it in his blog which has been called not a blog and he said that what i intended as an occasional pleasure and a way to stay in touch with my readers has become a blog which and then he goes on to say and when a lot of stuff happens very fast i fall further and further behind i am hugely behind right now and the prospect of trying to catch up is feeling increasingly oppressive. And a lot of fans took that as meaning 
that his writing of the winds of winter which is the sixth book of the series that he that it's becoming more difficult for him to write this book and so I wanted to ask you as a writer, what can we do to be more sympathetic towards George R. R. Martin? Because he has talked about how as a writer, he um, would constantly <laughs> miss deadlines mm -hmm. for Winds of Winter with his publisher. But he would also miss the deadline with his fans, too, because his fans are the ones waiting. Mm -hmm. Now, for you, like what insight can you give us as a writer who's been writing a long term project? What can you inform, let's say, any fans of Game of Thrones who feel a little impatient with the process? Well, you know, I was we were talking about this before we went on the air. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I can't imagine the pressure of having a deadline for a book for, for this book. If someone said you got to finish this by X Y Z, um, I probably would find a way to do it. I guess, but uh, it's tough when you're writing a book when you're writing something really long, a huge project. As I said, I have deadlines when I do theater reviews, but that's like a page and a half. You go see the show and you have to have it in nine o'clock the next morning. But to have a deadline for a book, what I would say to the fans is try to be patient because if you don't rush. A writer and author chances are what you're gonna end up with is gonna be a lot better because sometimes inspiration doesn't come you know every day at nine o'clock or every day at two o'clock sometimes you nothing happens for four or five days and then you wake up at three in the morning with this great idea so I would just urge uh, fans to be patient and I have, think if you're patient you're gonna be really happy probably with the, the end result now, George R. R. Martin has actually said something like that where he said that some years have been better for others. Have you had that experience where like some years you just write and do such great progress? And Absolutely. And part of it also depends. Now, if you're someone who is a writer and you, you know, you've had several successful books and that's your thing, that's your main career, that's different. I mean, for me, I have four or five, six other things going on. I do a radio show and I teach voiceovers and I, I do bunch. So it's one thing that I do. It's one hat that I wear. So sometimes I'll do, do it and put it aside and go do something else for six six months so um yeah it yeah sometimes you you get really inspired and you do all these ideas rush into your head and you sit down and you're going to write for three or four hours and then there are other times when you go blank nothing good is coming or you get really busy doing other stuff another thing that he has mentioned which i wanted to ask you which was trying to is writing a chapter and then scrapping it and then having to keep track of what you wrote before and what you scrapped and what you plan on changing <laughs> yes i can see you nodding like yes yes because <laughs> uh, yeah because i started you know I, when i first started i you know did i don't know what 10 15 pages and i printed that out set it aside and then i went back to it like six eight months later and then i changed a lot of that or and then so then you have to keep you know what's saved in the computer what's new did you save the new stuff did you print it out is what you printed out old or what you printed out new yes that's a that's a challenge you know and i always feel sympathy for george r, r. martin because for me like when i wrote poetry i started writing some poetry i had to meet like deadlines for class because they, that's how i started writing mm -hmm. and one of the things was that the it took me a while to find the inspiration. Like I would sit there for an hours and trying to find the inspiration. Then I go outside and I'm inspired and then I go back inside and right. I write it out. And so I feel like in the case of M Martin and yourself, I think that sometimes we forget that like when it comes to these long-term projects, mm -hmm. that inspiration just doesn't come yeah, whenever you want It's not like it. a nine to five that Monday through Friday, okay, I'm inspired today, tomorrow I'll be, you know, you don't know when you're inspired. And he has said that he's written hundreds of pages last year because he was in isolation. Mm -hmm. But there's also a thing of like, in his case, I think he, you and him have a lot in common in this sense because he goes out to conventions and he does writing for other TV shows. So I feel like 
like to write on a thousand page book and he has to not only write the winds of winter but the last book a dream of spring i feel like it would take a lot of would you feel like added pressure if let's say you had a bunch of people breathing down your neck of course oh my gosh yes <laughs> yes and it, it, would you feel like it would demotivate you to write if you had like that type of fan base who would be mad because you didn't meet the last deadline well i think i think it would be motivational to a large degree but i also think it would be an enormous amount of stress <laughs> and i would be completely stressed out the whole time yeah and for me like i can't even imagine being the a writer with that type of deadline like martin and so for me my heart has always gone out to him especially considering that he is older he is in his 70s mm -hmm. and I almost I almost he's has said this that he almost wishes that he didn't have to take on this big of a scope of a story because mm -hmm. uh, how familiar are you with Game of Thrones have you ever seen it not no not really I'm not very familiar so it's it's a really big fantasy series mm -hmm. I think that even if you saw like a poster for I mean, it, I know a little little bit about it not a lot it's it's a huge fantasy series and the books each one is between 800 to a thousand pages yeah it's a long book it, yeah those books are long yeah. and so like I'm not I, I'm not unsurprised when I meet people that tell me I've never read those books because they are intimidating to mm -hmm. read five books that are a thousand pages each yeah but I feel like in the case of Martin the fans need to be a little bit more forgiving about that absolutely now is, has he said that this will be his last one no he has to write um, an additional one so mm -hmm. Winds of Winter would be the sec the first to last book and okay. then okay. the dream of spring and wow. some people have said he'll never finish it and you know what i gotta say is he has actually said i can live with that he's talked about how for him the writer for lord of the rings jrr token that his greatest book in his opinion was the cimmerillion which was never finished mm -hmm. and i think for me some i would imagine that like when it comes to those types of projects are you afraid of living your work unfinished like your no. book unfinished no i'm not afraid of that i know i'll finish it at some point oh yeah i was gonna ask because like in the case of like martin there's some real speculation that he may never finish it but i like the fact that he's accepted that okay well if i don't finish it i don't finish it mm -hmm. that's it is what it is it'll be a great unfinished and story. In, in, in that situation i don't blame him if he's done five or six and he's in his 70s yeah hey whatever you know <laughs> and it's a good attitude because the fact is that it's your great he considers it his masterpiece mm -hmm. and if your masterpiece is unfinished maybe in some cases that's a good thing because i can't imagine waiting 10 years for a, a book like imagine being a fan from 1994 yeah who saw the f who read the first Game of Thrones book mm -hmm. and still waiting 10 years for the next one I c I'm gonna be honest I, I sometimes worry that Winds of Winter when it comes out may be perceived as a disappointment just because it's taken 10 the, years the to build ride. up is so much yeah could be yeah it, it could be that and mm -hmm. in that case good luck to George R. R. Martin <laughs> <laughs> well we wish him well I hope that he finishes it without driving himself nuts and that everyone's happy with it so and I moving on to fantasy did you know the Lord of the Rings Amazon television series that is going to be on the Amazon Prime service? It costs $465 million for one season. That's insane. And just to give you some context, Game of Thrones costs about roughly $100 million to produce per season, which is about, which was about starting $6 million for season one per episode, and now $15 million per episode in season eight. But in the case of Lord of the Rings, it it's it was getting close to 500 million. 
That's and, just crazy. And Amazon has said that this is the lar- they anticipate this to be like the largest, most expensive television show of all time. And for me, I worry a little bit about the cost because if you don't have commercials, how are you going to recoup your like sales? Because you have yeah. to get subscriptions to Amazon. I I don't know. That's a lot of money. That's all I can say. <laughs> Holy moly! It, it, it's a a lot of people have actually called it like so uh, that it's almost like. Well, in this case, like the rights separate from the production costs, the rights to the Lord of the Rings, the token property, actually just all of Middle Earth was two hundred and fifty million dollars just for the rights. So I feel like in many ways, like this, this better be a really successful television series. Uh, Yeah, I would think. Because, oh boy, like I can't imagine. See, to me, the, the rights for something being that much, I just think that's obscene. Really? That's just too much money. I, I feel like in the case of Lord of the Rings, I think the reason why it costs so much is because of the movies. Yeah. I think if the movies weren't as successful financially, they might have. Yeah. They might not have given the rights away so expensively. But good lord. <laughs> it's it. I was I was blown away by this morning because I looked at it in my phone and I said four hundred and four hundred yeah. million dollars for one season. That's a that, lot. I, I, yeah, it's hard to wrap your mind around <laughs> that. It really is. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and let you, um, we're going to move on to our next segment on the Culture Cor- Corner. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Listening to Bonnie Gilgallen and Brian Mendoza talking arts and entertainment on iHub Radio's The Culture Corner. Here are Bonnie and Brian. Well, there's no surprise. Megan Merkel is not going to attend I Prince knew it. funeral. Now, it's going to be on Saturday, 3 p.m. Um, I think the time in England, England time. England time. Yeah. It'll be about 10 a.m. Eastern time, which would probably be New York time. Mm-hmm. And oh boy. So, like, to be honest with you, I think that her not attending is probably for the best. Wise move. Wise yes. move. Yes. And I feel like in this case, like, you, you got to get Harry over there and say goodbye to and his it's father. Im- yeah, it was important for him to go. Absolutely. It was important for his, his grandfather, important for him to go. But I think it's very, and I know she's pregnant and that's the, the re- official reason they're giving why she shouldn't be flying when, she, flying when she's pregnant. But it's kind of convenient. I mean, it was a good excuse for her not to go. But I think that was wise. It, it's a wise decision, not only because for her health, but also because I feel like, um, I'm going to be honest, I think she just doesn't want to be the center of attention. I think that it, if she goes, it's going to be all about well, looking at her. And too. I don't think I don't think the family really wanted her there, to be honest with you, because, <laughs> she, you know, she's caused a lot of uh, tension oh, yeah. in the family. And they're trying they're trying to have a dignified funeral. So the last thing they want is her there and people maybe getting into snits and stuff. I, yeah, it would have been a big mess, I think. And to be honest, like I, I wouldn't say I, I guess the way I would say it is that like I think it's one of those things where sometimes as grown ups we have to realize we're not 
going to have to be at everything that our family is going to be exactly. at. Exactly. You know? Like, I feel like in some cases, like, I've been at family reunions where I've avoided some family reunions because of tension. And I mm-hmm. said to myself, it's probably for the best that I'm not there because I don't want to be there. And some people don't want me there. And why should so I be why, there? So why? Yeah. And, I mean, she, and she hasn't been part of the family that long. So she really didn't have a long relationship with Philip. So, you know... I, I, I think, yeah, I, this is definitely the best situation is the way it is now. And 30 family members will attend the funeral, and it's going to be mostly CDC, uh, well, not CDC guidelines, but yeah. like the COVID-19 guidelines for England, and that mm-hmm. th- it's going to be pretty evenly spaced out. They're yeah. not going to wear any military outfits. Mm-hmm. And like you said, too, was you were saying in the break that they're going to be not next to each other from, mm-hmm. what, have, from mm-hmm. what you've heard. Mm-hmm. And well... I mean, it's going to be a different kind of funeral. And I'm thinking to myself, like, I I think one thing for sure, it's that it's not going to be as like, um, I don't think it's going to be as impactful to a lot of people as like Diana's funeral. Oh, no, no. And I think the only person whose funeral will ever match that would probably be the the queen, the queen herself. Yeah. Yeah. And because Prince Philip, to me, has always been sort of like the the man that loves the woman yeah in the background a little bit yeah background a yeah. little bit that was his role are you yeah. gonna watch the funeral on television uh probably not i'll wait and see snippets i'm sure they'll so show <laughs> clips of it somewhere I, I got other stuff i gotta do <laughs> so probably not no. oh yeah and like oh you know what talking about saturday i'm gonna go to your show saturday you should Yay! Tell, tell, tell everybody about your show okay so and, and i think we're sold out I think because you know because they're having a small it's a small group oh, it's just you know they're following guidelines just like everybody else so just small I think they're limiting at thirty or thirty five or something yeah so Siobhan and I are doing our show again tomorrow night bosom buddies Saturday night at uh, runway um, shows at seven o'clock and it went really well last week went a couple little glitches here and there but went really well Mark Caney on the piano but it's a really fun show so um, we're looking forward to that glad you're coming. <laughs> I'm going to try cool. to see if I can. I was going to buy a ticket right now to actually. Let's try. We'll check, check, check real quick. I think there might be one or two left, but you better check quick, fast. Uh, quick. I got to do that. Let me see. But, you know, I hope I hope that Harry and William patch it up. I would hate to see. Yeah, I mean, they've been close brothers. They've been through a lot together. You know, I would hate to see their relationship sort of destroyed oh, because of Meghan Markle. I, I'd hate to see that. You know, I, I feel like in the case, like I, I, to be honest, I think the brothers actually, I can get a ticket right now. <laughs> so do it, do it. Instead of going to the, uh, watching the funeral, I'm going to go to Bonnie's okay, show and you okay. should too. There's tickets, <clears throat> but I was going to say that I think for me, like the brothers are the ones who could probably fix the relationship the most. Yeah, and for me, yeah. it's one of those things where I would encourage people to, like who have family problems, like. Hey, it's never too late to fix your problems. Talk it over. Talk, you know, don't, yeah, because life's too short and you don't want to end up having regrets and saying, God, you know, I haven't, I haven't spoken to my brother in 20 years because what a tragedy that would be, you know? You know, it's funny you say that because my father actually um, has always had issues with one of his sons and he hasn't talked to him in years. And it's all, sad. And my dad has had times where, like, there was a time where my father um, uh, was sad because it actually turned out that they told my brother my my brother that ex- my um my uh, full brother because mm-hmm. this brother is a son from a previous marriage that mm-hmm. my dad had so my half brother told my actual brother that he was in the hospital but never called my dad he said hey tell your tell dad that um I'm in the hospital but it was like three day but it was like literally several hours afterwards and it was like almost like offhanded and my dad tried calling him because mm-hmm. he was conscious and all that mm-hmm. and it turned out that he was actually really saddened by that because he felt because he had heard that they called 
my dad's ex-wife but didn't call him yeah, yeah. and my yeah, that stuff is i mean you know gosh and i know a lot of us have been there and we've all done silly petty things but you know what life is too short for that stuff it really is with family you know whatever your problems are talk, talk it through talk it over it's one of the advice wayne dyer has on his tapes you know if you if you're angry at somebody or a family member or whatever talk it talk it over i mean one of the things that destroys relationships is not talking about it and I, you know, and I think during these times with the pandemic, I think that we need to even more important, even more important, yeah. get people to talk because you never know when the next one's coming. And, and you never know what's going to happen tomorrow. You could drop dead, be hit by a bus. You don't know. And you know? that's true. But we have a guest coming on, don't we? Yes. Leanna Rogers, who is a wonderful singer. And she is hot right now. She's all singing everywhere in town. Got all kinds of stuff going on. So we'll talk to her in just a moment. We'll be back in a bit on the Culture Corner. The curtain rises on local and regional arts and entertainment. From music to theater, films to fine art, it's The Culture Corner. Get connected. Call 760-544-TALK. That's 760-544-8255. Here's Bonnie and Brian on iHub Radio. And we're back on the Culture Corner, and now we're joined by uh, my buddy and a wonderful performer, Leanna Rogers, who is all over town. She's really hot right now with her hubby, Miguel, on Congress. Hey, Leanna, how are you? Hi, Bonnie. How are you? Good, good, good. So you you got all kinds of stuff going on to talk about. So tell us, first of all, you're like there's like five or six places that you're, you're playing. So tell us where you are, first of all. Yes. Um, well, we have a residency every Monday evening at the Wine Lounge, which is on Talkwitz, um, right across from the Regal Theater. Okay. And that's um, every Monday from 5 to 8. Really great. Um, it's a hot ticket in town, so you have to call and make reservations because they turn people away. They're so busy. It's a wonderful feeling. So, um, And then we are also at the Roost Lounge, which is in Cathedral City, mm-hmm. and that's twice a month. And our next show is on Wednesday, April 28th from 6 to 9. Okay. And, um, and then every Saturday night, we are with our trio with Tristan. Um, he's an amazing guitarist. Latin fusion, um, pop, anything you can think of um, with, with his beautiful uh, guitar um, and myself on vocals and Miguel on congas. And that's at Babalu's every Saturday evening, late evening, mm-hmm. from 9.30 p.m. to midnight. And that's uh, in Palm Desert, um, right off of El Paseo, again, Babalu's. And then we are at Hunter's uh, twice a month. And that the next gig will be uh, Saturday, April 24th from three to five and of course hunters is down on arenas in downtown palm springs Mm -hmm. so um and then i have a little secret to tell you you're actually the first one to to hear or you know hear the announcement um we are now i'm going to be producing a um first thursday of every month at the wine lounge a surprise drag pop-up production at the wine lounge um, and the uh, showtime will be 7 p.m. Again, that's once a month. And what I have is a surprise drag queen that shows up. And 
uh, lip syncs to my actual singing. So um, I'm really excited about that. We just finalized the details, and um, you can find tickets at lianalive.com. That's L-E-A-N-N-A-L-I-V-E.com. Oh, that's fun. That's just, that should yeah. be really fun. And so, I know. I'm so excited. And so is it going to be a different drag queen each time? Yes. Okay. You know, I've been, I've been making friends with all the wonderful drag queens. I've done shows with them, mm-hmm. um, different ones, um, and I've kind of put the feelers out, and I've got some really well-known drag queens that are going to be showing up, and uh, you never know what you're going to get. <laughs> oh, that's exciting. Really exciting. Whoa, yeah, I, I know. So it's uh, something that's been on my mind uh, since... COVID hit, and I was like, well, what, what am I going to do once, once we return to the stage? And mm-hmm. I'm really excited about it, because it'll be you know, utilizing my acting as well as my singing yeah. um, talent. So, yeah. Now, so I have a question for you, because I, you know, my, Eric, my sweetie, is a, a piano player and, and violin f- f- professional musician, and we work together occasionally here and there, which is great. I don't think we would do well, we've both decided this, um, working together a lot and living together. I, I think we'd get on each other's nerves after a while. So how do you guys manage not to do that? Well, um, we've been married for 18 years, and um, we've he's, he's actually, the story goes as he's, he's always seen me perform with different bands in L.A. and Orange County and on stage and theatrical productions, and he's always, always had this secret desire to want to perform with me, and he one day was like, you know what, I'm going to really master the congas and mm-hmm. drumming and, uh, you know, talk about midlife crisis. It wasn't mm-hmm. a car or, or a motorcycle. It was mm-hmm. it was in the garage for uh-huh. over a year, just learning learning the conga and uh-huh. really mastering it. And I would I would peek in the garage and be like, "What is, what are you doing?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> but now, I mean, it's it's such a great partnership. I mean, he's he's not only my conga player, but he's also my roadie, my mm-hmm. lighting tech, my sound tech. I mean, I couldn't mm-hmm. do it without him. It's been it's been such a blessing. Yeah. So two questions on that. First of all, when he first said that, were you a little skeptical? Or did you just like, uh, okay, absolutely. If I'm being honest, absolutely. Come on. I mean, we have we have three kids at home and a, and a mortgage to pay, and yeah. so I was like, oh my gosh. He went from working with neurologists in the medical field to mm-hmm. like you know losing the, the his contracts. They they closed, and um, and so he he was like, well, this is a, the best time, you know, that I can mm-hmm. I can take the opportunity to really um, hone my craft. So I, you know, at first I was a little skeptical, I, mm-hmm. I must admit, yeah. um, but I was, you know, I was still supportive, but very yeah. you know, apprehensive. So, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it's paid dividends. Absolutely. So it's been a blessing. And, and also, but what an advantage to have him as the roadie sound light person. That's so helpful oh. to have, my gosh. Oh my gosh. And you know what? It's, I couldn't do it without him, honestly, Bonnie. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's one of the, we have so much equipment that we bring in. We've got monitors, speakers. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've got everything, and and uh, and I'm not really technically um, savvy, as mm-hmm. it were. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm great with with performance and you know mm-hmm. connecting with the audience, but as far as the technical side, I really. Um, have always had you know a difficulty really understanding technical um, things. So I'm right there yeah. with you. I get I, <laughs> right there with you on that. You know, and, and at first when we performed um, on arenas um, at Stacy's, that was actually well at Oscars and then Stacy's. That was mm-hmm. before COVID. Um, you know, I he wasn't really a stage performer, so I had to kind of guide him on 
how to perform and engage with the audience, mm-hmm. um, you know, and because he would sit there and, and play his drums, but I'm like, okay, you have to, you have to smile, you have to engage, you yeah. know, and, and then he would look at me like, it's, I would have to give him cues, silent cues, like, okay, smile now, <laughs> smile now, or take it down, not, not so heavy on the drums, you yeah. know, so I was actually a conductor as uh-huh. well as a wife. <laughs> uh-huh. So um, it was, it was wonderful to see his, his uh, his talents blossom in that in that regard. So. And, and so okay, so so and but so you've managed to pretty much avoid any conflicts or spats in the middle of all that. I'm I'm amazed. I'm I'm well. I'm, you know. I mean, you know, the uh, the boys on arenas they just you know they love him. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things where we understand that people want to engage with us when mm-hmm. we're not on stage, and so we don't take it. There's no jealousy involved. Yeah. It's um, it's all positive, and yeah. he understands that our job is to make people feel welcome, yeah. um, not only on stage but off. And so, yeah. I'm constantly, you know, when you come to my shows, I'm I'm constantly out there, you know, meeting people eye to eye and getting mm-hmm. to know people. I think it's so important, and that's what I think creates that camaraderie and mm-hmm. that connection um, with the audience that they don't necessarily get, um, you know, with the big live you know live bands so yeah. um yeah now were you uh were you nerd do you guys practice COVID thing were you nervous about that go out getting out there again with COVID? i know things are opening up people are getting vaccinated but they're still you know people are still a little wary yeah i was a little bit apprehensive um of course i made sure i wore my mask when i got off stage and, and you know spoke to people and then no handshakes no hugs which mm-hmm. was really hard because you know prior to COVID, it was yeah. all about the yeah. hugs and, and the personal connection. So people understand, mm-hmm. um, you know, and then not going out into the audience to work the crowd. Um, that was another aspect that I, I forgot like how hard that was for me to restrain myself and just stay yeah. um, sequestered to the stage area. Mm-hmm. So um, that was a big change, you know, but it's, it's, um, it's getting better as the, the months go along. So, cause we started back in February. So, yeah. Uh, I think people with getting their vaccines and, um, you know, and and being healthy, I think people are, are starting to, you know, loosen the reins a little bit. Yeah. So, so tell me about um, the music. So you do a lot of Latin stuff. Is that kind of your main genre, would you say? Yes. Um, that's actually how Miguel and I met. Um, it was my first time salsa dancing in a club called the Mayan in L.A. And I saw him across the dance floor and I fell in love with salsa and we fell in love that night. And um, and then I, I was, you know, I was trained in jazz and classical voice. And then I realized I'm like, you know, I love I love Latin music. I love salsa. It's just something that resonates with me mm-hmm. deep in soul. And so. I went up to one of the bands one night at one of the clubs we were at, and I said, I want to perform with you. And they were like, who is this white chick? <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. And so um, he said, okay, we'll show up at our rehearsal studio in, in Pasadena, uh, memorize um, Gloria Stefan's Mi Tierra. And I took it home and I learned it phonetically because, you know, I, I do understand a lot of Spanish, but I, I'm not completely fluent. Mm-hmm. So... I literally just learned it phonetically and showed up to their rehearsal studio in, in Pasadena. And they, I don't think they really thought I was serious. Mm-hmm. And then when I 
sang with the full eight-piece band, um, full horn section, drums, congas, everything. Um, they were like, oh, okay, well, you're hired. <laughs> That's great. So, yeah, so we toured, um, you know, different clubs, um, the club circuit in L.A. and Orange County for many years. And uh, and then, you know, I took a break and had some babies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And, uh, you know, and then, um, you know, did some theater when we first moved here to Palm Springs Mm -hmm. and then um, and then started the music. It just I I always had a desire to to do live music in Palm Springs. I just didn't I had to get my bearings and and, a feel for the town. um, And that was seven years ago. and, And it just it's been a whirlwind of amazing, amazing things and possibilities that have have come. And it's such a blessing. I take none of it for granted. Yeah. Yeah. I I love to because I have I interview a lot of singers and I'm a singer, too. Do you vocalize every day and do you have any any pre-show rituals that you do? (laughs) Yes, I actually um, I warm up um, on our on our drive to the gig. Sometimes I'll warm up at the house a little bit and then um, in the car on the ride over, I'll I'll do my warm ups and I'll I'll say, uh, what do I say? And Miguel's here listening to. Um, I say <laughs> me 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 mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And then he he responds and goes you 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 you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we just have a little a little insider thing on that. Um, but uh, I'm sorry. What was the other part of your? And question? do you have any any uh, pre? Some people you know say a prayer or go stand off by themselves for five minutes or wear lucky jewelry. Do you do anything like that? Um, sometimes I do. It depends on the venue. Um, I will do a, a, a short meditation. I actually do this um, a lot when I'm doing theater as well, but music, I'll just imagine a, a positive white light in the center of my forehead and then just pull the white, white, white light down through my body all the way to my toes. And then, and this is all breathing while I'm doing it. And then mm-hmm. I roll up the white light. I roll it up with every breath and I bring the white light back to the middle of my forehead. And then I, I um, project the white light out into the uh, the audience that I'm about to perform to, and that really helps me be grounded. And then I give the audience a big air hug with my arms. I put my arms out, and I just hug myself, and I bring their energy in with me. And it, it really helps me to to realize that, you know, we're all in this together. They're experiencing something. I'm experiencing something, and we're all uh, you know, having the experience together. So I love that. That's yeah. great. That's fabulous. Oh, okay. Because um, I want we're getting short on time. So let's see. Today okay. is today's Friday. So t- where are you in the next two or three days? Okay, we're at Babalu's um, Saturday evening okay. uh, from nine thirty to midnight with our trio with Tristan, and uh, and then we are at um, we are at V Wine Lounge on Monday night. Uh, from five to eight, okay. uh, make sure you call, make reservations, and okay. of course, I have everything on my website. So if you go yeah. to LianaLive dot com, okay, super, um, you'll you'll find everything there. I have our entire April calendar um, where you can find us on social media, whatnot. So. Okay, super. Well, congratulations yeah. to you and Miguel. I know you guys are out and about. One of these days, I'm gonna have to come out and see you. But oh, um, you, you know, I would love to have you come up and sing a bit, or you know. <laughs> All right, sounds sounds like a plan. One of these days, I'll do it. Well, listen, stay safe out there. Have fun. And thanks for being here. Really appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity, Bonnie. Have a great afternoon. Okay, you too. All right. Back with more on the Culture Corner in just a bit.
You're listening to Bonnie Gilgallen and Brian Mendoza talking arts and entertainment on iHub Radio's The Culture Corner. Live from the desert cities of Southern California, here's Brian and Bonnie. So politics is getting involved in entertainment it ble- right now. It bleeds over a it lot. It bleeds yeah. over. So in this segment, think of it as half politics, half entertainment. Mm-hmm. So let's start off. Well, let's start off with the more heavier story, and then we'll end with okay. the a little bit less heavy one. They're both heavy. Yeah. So, for if you are familiar with the Black Lives Matter movement, you're familiar with the name Breonna Taylor. Taylor. Yes. A really tragic, horrible thing that happened, and so Simon and Schuster got into a lot of trouble, not because they were directly involved in this one thing, but because of an imprint company that they work with. So Simon and Schuster has pulled out of distributing a book that was being proposed by Louis Louis Louisville police office by the police officer Sergeant Jonathan Manning who shot Brianna Taylor the per, the man who actually pulled the trigger pulled the trigger yeah. and shot her he actually wrote he was proposing to write a book called The Fight for Truth the inside story behind the Brianna Taylor tragedy and I got to say uh, Simon and Schuster, they f- said, like, m- uh, like much of the American public, earlier today, Simon and Schuster learned of plans of distribution client Postal Press to publish a book by Jonathan Manning. We subsequently decided not to be involved in the distribution of the book, and they pulled it out. And this is this kind of spread pretty quickly because when we heard when when social media heard about the book. Um, Margaret Atwood had actually promoted a book from Simon Schuster, so she got involved in it too because they said, "Why don't you call out Simon and Schuster too?" But this was a case where I got to say this is the right move. Absolutely, and in my opinion, this. I, to be honest with you, like I don't even think the 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 conversation need. I, I mean, I'm gonna be honest. Like, I, what is what would this book even bring to the conversation? In my opinion, like nothing. Uh, uh, to me, it's like. It's just going to be more division mm-hmm. in the literary community. It, not only not the literary community, but just the community in mm-hmm. general. Just mm-hmm. like uh, I, I think it's a good move to not publish the book because I feel like from a marketing standpoint, how are you going to market that book? Yeah, and he should not be making a dime off of this at all, it, at all, at all. This is a real someone died yeah. in my in a my, completely innocent person died who was sleeping in her own bed in her own apartment. Someone died, and like yeah. that's the thing is that like you shouldn't be making money no. off of someone's death like no. that, and and like look, if he has something to say, you know there are plenty of news outlets, especially one that starts go with an do F. an interview if you have to. If somebody <laughs> wants to talk to you, like yeah. you know Fox News would do it for. Oh, I'm sure they would. They, they yeah. will go go on Fox News and get interviewed because that's where they're gonna probably listen. Because like this book, I don't even think it would sell. I don't honest. think it would sell either. I, I think, really don't think it would sell. I think the the thing would be a people would boycott it first of all, <laughs> mm-hmm. and second, like who would this appeal to other than like the, a certain type of audience who don't? <laughs> a, and I'm not saying this to be sort of mean because I don't think you're maybe better, don't read that much. Yeah, like I'm not to say it in a mean way, but like the the audience that would want this yeah. is is statistically less likely to purchase a it book. Will. Yes, you're right, and that's just not. And it's not to say you're any better or worse for not reading books. It's just it's one of those things where it's like. The, the it just doesn't add up, and I feel like it's not only a from a marketing standpoint bad, but it's also like, what would you gain out of it? You know, yeah. like I wouldn't gain anything. I don't yeah. think, like reading it, I think I would just be 
to be, I think everyone knows my opinion on this. Nah. I think I would be very angry. Let's it. talk about Will Smith. Uh, Will Smith. Enough yes. of that guy. Enough of that. <laughs> but that was an. Int- but that yeah. was a story. Will Smith. So again, with politics and social and the social movements, Will Smith has moved the production of his movie Emancipation away from Georgia over the recent voting laws. Now Good the, for him. The voting laws have been criticized as promoting uh, voter suppression aimed at reducing mm-hmm. the turnout of people of color. Mm-hmm. And these voting laws were passed because of the many many conspiracy theories regarding the 2020 election and unfounded claims of voter of voter fraud Mm -hmm. and and also considering that georgia voted for a democrat in the for for the first time in a long time and i think that i think it's a good uh, will smith actually said at this moment, the nation is coming to terms with its history and attempting to eliminate vestiges of institutional racism to achieve true racial justice. He goes on to say, we cannot in good conscience provide economic support to a government that enacts regressive voting laws that are designed to restrict voter access. The new Georgia voting laws are reminiscent of voting imp- implements that were passed at the end of reconstruction to prevent many americans from voting regrettably we feel compelled to move our product film production work from georgia to another state and i would say that that is his right it's his right to do it it's his right to do it i think that's the best way to put it but i also think that it, it in some ways some people have said that it it's a bit of a tragedy because a lot of like black like uh, like a lot of black who would extra. have job jobs won't have those jobs yeah. yeah and it's sad because like georgia would have does have a very strong black community who surprisingly are the ones that voted overwhelmingly democrat mm-hmm. and so like in many ways it's sad that this they're going to suffer to a certain degree although i bet you if you ask most of those people people of color who might have gotten a job on the will smith movie how they feel about it that they would probably say the the cause is important it's worth it oh yeah and and the thing is i think it's important that when you have a when there's a social movement or something that's going on if you have the power to sort of make some small implemental change some statement but with something that you do yeah and and it's worth it yeah and for me it's like i guess like in some cases like if, if there was one thing i would do like for example if someone said you know, you got to boycott your own show because of this and that. I probably, I don't know if I, I guess I would, to be honest, like in some cases. It's like something that. I felt strongly enough about. It's Absolutely. Some, yeah. Let's get in one more thing because we have a, a few more minutes because I found this fascinating um, that Mia Farrow had lost three children, one to a drug overdose, one to AIDS and AIDS. one to suicide. Yeah. Which I'd been in the dark. I didn't even realize that because this was several years ago. So now there's some weird rumors floating around. So about. Mia Farrow, the, the Woody Allen Mia Farrow documentary came out so and another whole oh, thing yeah. that's a whole conversation yeah. but one of the parts that people brought up was the idea that Mia Farrow wasn't perfect when adopting kids and mm-hmm. she's even stated in interviews that her family life is never perfect mm-hmm. but three of her kids being dead has been the subject of speculation about and were they all in like teens or 20s when this happened uh, one of them was in their 20s okay. um, and the other two were like two of them were in their 20s once was 17 okay the one who um, uh, I think the one who died of AIDS was 20 and one of them died at 17 and uh, it's it's I mean that's a bad track record I mean they were all adopted though right they were all adopted but a lot of people had made a lot of speculation about why does this why are three of her kids dead Mm -hmm. and in my opinion I almost I kind of want to tell our audience you know I think it belabors the point when 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 we talk about the Mia Farrell Woody Allen conversation because like to bring up three dead 
people is not in my opinion productive you know what i mean so yeah. like, i mean yeah. it's curious and that might be worth a whole investigation on its own but it's a separate issue yeah, yeah and like I would tell, like, and I think Mia Farrow has every right to defend what happened because those are horrible I mean, maybe there, and maybe there were all troubled kids. Maybe she had liked to adopt troubled kids. I don't know. She, you know? Uh, see, that's what she said a lot was, yeah. like, she adopted kids that would have problems at home and then she would help them out. And one of them was a suicide, which was unfortunate, yeah. you know. And, and th- yeah. in that case, we should be compassionate rather Absolutely. than using it. Absolutely. But we have a guest coming up on our next hour, Yes, right? another singer, Cynthia Thomas uh, at 2.06. We'll be back in just a bit on The Culture Corner.